This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. At the height of the sexual revolution, why does Pope Francis belittle those who defend chastity? Before we move on to the body of this episode, we wish to read the following statement from the American TFP. Taking a principled, not a personal stand on homosexuality, homosexual marriage, and transgenderism. As practicing Catholics, we are filled with compassion and pray for those who struggle against violent temptation to sin, be it homosexual sin, gender dysphoria, or otherwise. We are conscious of the enormous difference between these individuals who struggle with their weaknesses and strive to overcome them, and others who transform their sin into a reason for pride and try to impose their lifestyle on society as a whole in flagrant opposition to traditional Christian morality and natural law. However, we pray for them too. According to the expression attributed to St. Augustine, we hate the sin, but love the sinner. And to love the sinner, as this same doctor of the church explains, is to wish for him the best we can possibly desire for ourselves, namely, that he may love God with a perfect affection. See St. Augustine on the Morals of the Catholic Church, number 49. Today's episode of the Return to Order moment will be shorter than most. However, it is packed with importance. 21st century Catholics find ourselves faced with a dilemma that we never expected until recently. We find ourselves torn between loyalty to the papacy while being unable to agree with many statements made by the current Pope. We will not be able to resolve all the points of that dilemma today but a sense of faithfulness to the unchangeable truths behind Holy Mother Church forces us to respond to certain comments made by Pope Francis. In that necessity, we take comfort in the fact that the author of this essay, Mr. Luis Sergio Solomeo, is a superb scholar who has been studying such questions for over five decades. So now, the Return to Order moment brings to you at the height of the sexual revolution, why does Pope Francis belittle those who defend chastity? By Luis Sergio Solomeo. At a time when the sexual revolution is at its height, and when fashions, laws, and customs favor the sin against chastity, we have a Pope who is not showing indignation against those who are closely or remotely responsible for this situation but rather complains about those upholding church doctrine and carefully defending virtue. For the first time in history, a pope shows contempt for those who uphold the virtue of chastity. This happened on August 5th during his trip to Portugal for World Youth Day in Lisbon. The church has always taken great care to defend the angelic virtue. Yet, in a conversation with Jesuits in Portugal, Pope Francis referred to this care in a contemptuous tone, saying, But what I don't like at all, in general, 
is that we look for the so-called sin of the flesh with a magnifying glass, just as we have done for so long with the Sixth Commandment, unquote. While the Church has always recommended prudence and vigilance in such delicate matters, Pope Francis considers this practice as, quote, looking at the so-called sin of the flesh with a magnifying glass. In other words, he sees such concern as an unbalanced exaggeration, even when it extends to homosexual sin, as we will later see. Forgetting St. Paul's warning to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 3 to 4, he refers to the sin against the angelic virtue with such a vulgar expression that we would not quote it, except for the need to show the depths of the abyss to which the present pontificate has descended. He says we are not concerned with other sins while, quote, instead, sins below the waist were relevant, unquote. The context of this statement can be understood as saying that sins against chastity and more particularly the most aberrant, sins against nature, are irrelevant. Pope Francis was responding to the Jesuit Zhao, who said, I do pastoral work every day with young university students, and among them are many really good ones, very committed to the church, to the center, very friendly with the Jesuits, and who identify as homosexuals, unquote. Note that these are practicing homosexuals, as Jesuit Zhao says, they do not see the call to chastity as a personal call to celibacy, but rather as an imposition. They do not feel, in consequence, that their relationships are sinful, unquote. He also says, they are virtuous in other areas. The claim that practicing homosexuals can be virtuous in other areas cannot go unremarked. According to St. Thomas, mortal sin turns man away from God so as to destroy charity. Now charity, quote, is the root of all the infused virtues as virtues, unquote. Therefore, by destroying charity... Mortal sin destroys the supernatural virtues at their root. Thus, while capable of natural virtue, people who remain in a state of grave sin against chastity, mainly against nature, become incapable of practicing the supernatural virtues needed to live the Christian life of grace. To claim that these people are virtuous in other areas despite remaining in this sin, is tantamount to denying that homosexual practice is a mortal sin. Likewise, it is a very serious error to admit that practicing homosexuals can be, quote, very committed to the church, unquote. Can those not committed to the practice of the commandments the church upholds really and sincerely be committed to the church? Although those in a state of sin can remain in her bosom, they, quote, are dead or paralyzed as members of the church, in whom the vital sap no longer flows as in dead branches, unquote. As our Lord said, If a man does not abide in me, 
He is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. See John chapter 15, verse 6. Continuing, Jesuit Zhao then asks, And how can we act pastorally so that these people feel, in their way of life, called by God to a healthy, effective life that produces fruit? Should we recognize that their homosexual relationships can open up and give seeds of true Christian love, such as the good they can accomplish, the response that they can give to the Lord? Can a person have a healthy, effective life in a relationship against nature? Can such a relationship produce seeds of true Christian love? Pope Francis seems to accept that it can, because, in his reply, he doesn't make the slightest reservation or restriction to what was said. On the contrary, the Pope comments on the parable of the wedding feast of the king's son. See Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 to 14, in which the guests didn't come and the king sent his servants along the roads, forcing everyone to enter the banquet hall. He uses this parable to prove that in the church there is room for everyone, no matter their moral situation. Quote, Righteous and sinners, everyone, everyone, everyone. In other words, the door is open to everyone. Everyone has their own space in the church. Unquote. Undoubtedly, Everyone is called to belong to the Church of God. But only those faithful to its laws and doctrines share in the wealth of divine graces. Even those in mortal sin remain in the Church through baptism and faith. However, it is as if they weren't, because, as we said, they are dead to the life of grace. They are dead members of the church until reconciled by the sacrament of penance. This conclusion comes across very clearly in the same parable, a few chapters below the passage Pope Francis mentions. There we read that the king, our Lord, examined the guests and found one without the wedding garment, which, according to interpreters, means lacking sanctifying grace. He said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the darkness outside, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. Anyone in the church who does not live according to her moral precepts and doctrine, and thus not in the state of grace, lacking the wedding garment, is not on the road to salvation, but on the road to hell. Regarding practicing homosexuals whom Jesuit Zhao called really good and virtuous, Pope Francis comments, We must not be superficial and naive, forcing people into things and behaviors for which they are not yet mature or are not capable. Unquote. Does he mean that the church cannot demand chastity from its members, especially very committed ones? Furthermore, he surprisingly denies that people are incapable of abandoning grave sin with the help of grace, and that one needs to accompany them in this state until they are mature enough to abandon it.
He seems to agree with Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich, whom he appointed as Relator General of the Synod. In a recent interview with KNA, the German news agency, he stated that the Church needs to change its doctrine on homosexual relationships. Quote, I believe that the sociological scientific foundation of this teaching is no longer correct. Unquote. Continuing his conversation with his Jesuit confreres, Pope Francis affirms in his own sinuous way that the Church's doctrine and morals evolve, change, and that, quote, the view of Church doctrine as monolithic is erroneous, unquote. Concerning moral doctrine, he states, the problems that moralists have to examine today are very serious. And to deal with them, they have to take the risk of making changes, but in the direction I was saying. Unquote. Although he implies that doctrinal changes should happen along the line of continuity, the examples he gives run in the opposite direction. Today, he says, the death penalty is a sin. You cannot employ it, but it was not so before. So you change. You change, but with the criteria just mentioned. Unquote. Claiming that what the magisterium said was licit is now sinful is not continuity, but a break with that magisterium. The lawfulness of the death penalty is established in scripture, tradition, and church practice. If one can or should change church moral doctrine on some points because that doctrine is not monolithic, then one can do the same with homosexual practice or other sins against chastity. And this could well happen since Pope Francis's sympathy for homosexuals and transgenders is notorious. During his conversation with the Jesuits of the Portuguese province, he told of a nun who deals with transgenders, quote, One day she said, Can I bring them to the audience? Sure, I answered her. Why not? And groups of trans come all the time, unquote. In the conversation's context, Pope Francis expressed contempt for those who uphold the virtue of chastity and implied that homosexual practice is considered a sin because of an unhealthy exaggeration. However, this is not what Catholic doctrine states in conformity with the scriptures, tradition, and the church's constant magisterium. Let us look at a few texts. Especially in his epistles to the Corinthians, the Apostle St. Paul makes Catholic doctrine in the matter very clear. Quote, You know perfectly well that people who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God. People of immoral lives, idolaters, adulterers, catamites, sodomites, thieves, usurers, drunkards, slanderers, and swindlers will never inherit the kingdom of God. See 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10. to 10. Of themselves, mortal sins, including those against chastity, lead to hell. The apostle shows that we should practice chastity, because our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and should be honored as such. Quote, Keep away from fornication. All other sins are committed outside the body. 
But to fornicate is to sin against your own body. Your body, you know, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you since you received him from God. You are not your own property. You have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. That is why you should use your body for the glory of God. See 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. As original sin caused our tendencies to become disordered, and the urge to procreate is one of man's most powerful instincts, the church has always understood one's need to be as vigilant as possible against the temptations of the flesh to preserve chastity for the love of God. St. Alphonsus de Liguori, the prince of Catholic moralists, says that most souls fall into hell because of this sin. St. Gregory the Great shows the harmful consequences of the vice of impurity. Quote, From lust are generated blindness of mind, inconsiderateness, inconstancy, precipitation, self-love, hatred of God, affection for this present world, but dread or despair of that which is to come. Unquote. Therefore, like every mortal sin, the vice of impurity entails hatred of God, whose law the sinner willfully disobeys. With that, he loses his lucidity, his desire for heaven, and becomes attached to this world. As St. Thomas says, impurity is one of the capital sins which cause other sins. The prophet David is an example of how impurity leads to other sins. He allowed himself to be carried away by an adulterous passion for Bathsheba, and he ended up causing the death of Uriah, her husband. See 2 Samuel chapters 11 to 12. Chastity is necessary not only for individuals to lead virtuous lives, but also for social life. Without it, fidelity in marriage becomes impossible and destroys the family the basis of society. It causes feuds, enmities, etc. Inevitably, in this torrential conversation with his Portuguese confreres, Pope Francis refers to the synod on synodality. Quote, it was Paul VI at the end of the council who realized that the Catholic Church had lost the sense of synodality. The eastern part of the church maintains it. Unquote. An excellent book on this subject has just come out. The Synodal Process is a Pandora's Box, 100 Questions and Answers, by José Antonio Ureta and Julio Laredo de Isque. This well-documented book shows all the errors in the Synod Initiative, so we recommend it to our readers. This concludes, At the Height of the Sexual Revolution, why does Pope Francis belittle those who defend chastity? Thank you for listening. Mr. Salomeo's essay is richly footnoted. Any listener who wishes to review his sources can gain access to that essay in its original format. A link to that essay is provided in the show notes. Return to Order, of which this podcast is a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. 
We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. You can hear our programs in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find the Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, T. F.P.